0: Oh God, we are so thankful for this time that we have to hear from you and your word. God, I pray as our Bibles are open that um, our hearts would be open as well. God, we want to hear from you today. We know that you will speak, but we want to receive it, and we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So God, we pray that you'd open our eyes, open our ears, help us to be receptive, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last fall, uh, my in-laws took the whole family uh, to Disney World. And uh, this was not the first time that I've been to Disney World, but it was the first time that uh, my two uh, daughters went to Disney World to experience all that that is. And uh, it's a really unique experience seeing Disney World through the eyes of your kids. And uh, Ellie, my four-year-old, was was super uh, adventurous on this trip. Like she did some rides that I thought were a little bit above her in some ways. And I just want to give you an example of, uh, of what that looks like here. Um, here's a picture of, uh, so Ellie is uh, right here and she's enjoying herself. Like she's having fun on this ride. Uh, a couple other women here who are also uh, enjoying the excitement. This guy back here is a little bit indifferent uh, not sure what he's thinking right now. And then there's a gentleman right here who looks like he's wetting himself in fear of this little kitty ride. And, uh, and that's obviously me right there. And, uh, and just to defend myself real quick here. So I'm, I'm so focused on making sure Ellie doesn't fall out of the ride that I didn't even see this drop coming. Okay. So it took me off guard and I wasn't ready for it. And, uh, and that's, that's my expression. So, um, Notice, though, that there are so many different reactions here to the same ride. It's kind of interesting when you, um, when you stop and think about that reality in life we see all of the time, not just on roller coaster rides, um, but if you go and see a movie with a group of friends, chances are you're probably going to walk out of that movie theater all having a different reaction or a different response to the same movie. Or if you guys eat the same kind of food, you have a piece of cheesecake, you might have different reactions to the same uh, kind of food. Well, have you ever wondered why that is the case as it relates to experiencing God? Why we can experience the same God from the scriptures, and yet we have so many different reactions and responses, even Christians. That some people experience the God of the Bible and there is great thrill, there's great excitement that comes with that. Uh, Others experience God and there's a little bit of indifference that comes with that. And then others, there's a little bit of fear, uh, unsure of what this God is all about. Have you ever wondered why that is the case? I want to suggest for us this morning that The primary reason why we have different reactions and different responses to the same God comes down to how one views and understands God. How you understand what God is like has the ability to shape not only how you live your life, but how it is that you respond and react to God when you experience him and when you know him. Last week, I suggested uh, to us that the way that we sometimes go about knowing God is, uh, is kind of like a Build-A-Bear experience or a Build-A-God experience where we kind of pick and choose what attributes about God that we like and we dismiss the rest and we kind of remake God into our own image. We elevate certain attributes over others that fit our own preferences and fit our own likings. The result for that in our lives is that we have a God who is sometimes too small a God who is too imbalanced, and a God who looks too much like ourselves. The results of that tends to be uh, us reacting to God in a sort of apathetic way. Let me unpack that a little bit more. I think that there are um, certain uh, ways that we can remake God into something that he is not without even thinking about it. For example, some of us have kind of remade God into the image of a genie God where we've elevated one attribute, his, maybe his omnipotence, the fact that he's all-powerful, that he can do anything. And so he's kind of like this genie whose, uh, whose, whose existence is to give us whatever we wish for or whatever we want. Or maybe we remake God into the image of a, a desperate ex-boyfriend, that we take the attribute that God is love and we think that God's whole existence is to make sure that we get into a relationship with him and that he's um, unsatisfied without us loving him in return. Or Maybe take the, the janitor God, that God is gracious, God is merciful, so his uh, only purpose in existence is to kind of clean up our messes. Or maybe the helicopter parent God the one who is all-powerful, and so surely he exists to protect us from all suffering or all kinds of pain or evil. Or maybe the professor God, the God who is uh, all-knowing, and so we believe that to be in a relationship with him, it's all about knowledge, it's all about facts about him, and yet nothing more. Or maybe the therapist God, that because he's imminent, because he's near, he just wants to hear what we have to say. So he wants to just sit on a couch and share what's going on in our lives without really telling us how it is to live. Like this list could go on and on. We do this all the time without even noticing it. We like certain attributes so we elevate them over the rest and we have a tendency to have a God and follow a God and understand a God that's not the God of the Bible. And so part of the purpose of this sermon series is to, is to really just approach the scriptures with one question, that we want to approach the scriptures and say, God, what are you really like? Not what I want you to be, not what I hope you to be like, but what are you really like? A part of my prayer for us throughout this sermon series is that we would feel that infinite gap between who God is and who we are. The fact that God is infinite, we are finite means that we can't fully comprehend him. We can't fully understand him. And so there's that tension that should exist in our relationship with God that I hope that we embrace. So if we don't embrace that, if we're uncomfortable with that tension that we can't fully understand him, then we're going to fall into that pattern of remaking him into our own image. So I want that that gap to thrust us into awe. I want that to lead us into living lives of worship for our view of God to impact our marriages, to impact our parenting, to impact how we go through singleness and how we go through pain and suffering and temptations in this world. That our view of God, our understanding of what he is like has practical ramifications. And so today we're gonna look at another attribute of God. We're gonna look at his faithfulness from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're gonna look at these uh, first couple of verses in order to, to lay a foundation for God's faithfulness. And then I'm gonna look at other passages throughout the scriptures to just uh, give us a different aspect of God's faithfulness. And so let's take a look at uh, these first couple of verses. Now, deuteronomy chapter thirty two is known as the Song of Moses that Moses uh, has recorded at least three different songs throughout the Old Testament that the first one shows up in Exodus chapter fifteen right after the Israelites crossed over from the Red Sea there's another one that's recorded in Psalm chapter ninety and now here the third one in chapter thirty two of Deuteronomy comes as Moses is Uh, soon will depart from the earth. And Moses here in these last couple chapters of Deuteronomy is um, trying to tie up some loose ends in his ministry. God had commanded him in chapter 31 to put everything into order. So God had elected Joshua to uh, succeed Moses. But God also commanded Moses to write a song for God's people for them to memorize and for them to even pass on to their children and to their children's children. Now there are two purposes why God commanded Moses to do that. One has a prophetic purpose. That chapter thirty-two of Deuteronomy serves as kind of a um, a way to predict God's people from falling away from God and and actually following other gods from other nations. He's predicting that here in chapter thirty-two. But there's also a didactic purpose involved in this song of Moses. There's a, a teaching component that God wants his people to know something about who he is. And so Moses, out of all of the things that he could have written about who God is, he chooses to write about the faithfulness of God in chapter 32. And for Moses, what he wanted God's people to memorize and to pass down from generation to generation is the faithfulness of of God. And so verse 1 begins with a universal call to listen, followed by, in the, uh, the next couple of verses, uh, a praise for the justice of God, the, the uprightness of God. declares that God is the faithful one. Look at verse 4. He says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. You even go down to verse seven, and, and Moses calls them to remember and to recall the faithfulness of God. And this is exactly what God used to call back the people of God to repentance after all those years of following other gods. And so I want us to understand what it means that God is faithful. that if, if Moses chose to, to center this last song on the faithfulness, of God, What does this actually mean and what does this look like? Well, God's faithfulness is really the reason why we can even trust God. God's faithfulness is his ongoing demonstration of commitment and loyalty. That God's faithfulness is a time-tested attribute. Okay, so for example, I, I could not just go to the gym and work out and then uh, go home and tell my wife, hey, I'm a faithful member of the gym. I, 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 I'm a faithful person who, who works out. I couldn't do that because faithfulness is a time-tested attribute. Faithfulness equals time plus unwavering loyalty. It requires endurance, long-suffering. It's an unconditional commitment no matter the circumstances. And all throughout Scripture, faithfulness is sometimes translated as trustworthy. That this word kind of refers to the ethical nature of God's being. And so if this is so important for who God is, is and what he is like, if this is really what uh, Deuteronomy 32 is all about, I just want to share four truths about God's faithfulness, just to take a step deeper into understanding why this is such an important attribute. Okay, so four truths about God's faithfulness. Number one, understand that God's faithfulness demonstrates his immutability, demonstrates his immutability. In other words, God is faithful because he is what theologians call immutable. That God's immutability means not just the fact that God cannot change, but it is impossible for God to change. That God is an infinite sameness. Or as, as Malachi chapter three, verse six declares, it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews th- uh, thirteen eight says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So God's faithfulness speaks to the core of his character. Now understanding God's immutability really lays the foundation for understanding God's faithfulness. This is important because what this means is that his attributes do not change, that his attributes do not fluctuate, that they don't decrease and they do not increase, but each one is unchangingly infinite, that his holiness does not increase or decrease, his love does not increase or decrease, his transcendence, his faithfulness does not increase or decrease, but God is all that he is to the utmost forever. So in other words, the God who was is the God who is. And the God who is is the God who is to come. And the God who is to come is the God who was. Is your brain hurt yet? (laughs) Like this is important because this really lays the foundation for understanding why God is actually faithful. And honestly, it's hard for us to comprehend this. It's hard for us to to wrap our minds around something that does not change because we live in a world of constant change, don't we? We live in a world where, where the only uh, unchanging reality is the fact that things and people are going to change. Like your taste in clothing changes, your hair changes, your weight changes, your finances change, your children grow and change. Even how we operate in relationships tends to change, that we're not always faithful in our relationships. And yet the only one who does not change, the only one who is faithful, the only one whose faithfulness is constant and irreversible and unquestionable is God himself. That his love for you does not change. His commitment to you, to your flourishment, does not change and does not alter. He is faithful and will remain faithful forever. So it's important to understand that as the foundation And so we praise God that he's faithful. We understand that God does not change, but what is God faithful to? Like, is God faithful to uh, making sure that you're comfortable? Is God faithful to make sure that you're happy all the time? Is he faithful to to making sure that you don't suffer, that you don't, don't go through any pain or suffering? No, see, God is actually faithful to his promises. And this is the second truth that I want us to know about God's faithfulness is God's faithfulness means that what he promises, he will do. Of all the things that God is faithful to, it is his promises and to the covenants that he actually makes. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine, says this about God. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations so out of all the things that god is faithful to god is faithful to the covenant and the promises he has made so what this means is that as long as god's infinite sameness endures which it will means that he will not and cannot change his mind about being faithful to what he has said he will do let me say that again that because of God's infinite sameness endures, what that means is that he cannot and will not change his mind about being faithful to what he has said he will do. Like this, this is the foundation for Christianity. It's the foundation for us to even trust God and for us to even have a relationship with God. What this means is that his plans are steady. It means that his promises are firm, That all throughout scripture, there are thousands of God's promises that some say there are over 5,000 promises in the Bible and God has kept every single one of them. Look, raise your hand if you've ever made a promise in your life. Just raise it up high, okay? Now keep that hand up if you've ever broken a promise in your life. Yeah, most of us, yeah, okay. So know this, that God has never done that. Like, I'm going through a, a stage of parenting right now where I'm trying to teach my four-year-old the difference between um, a lie and the truth. And she's catching on, and it's actually um, presented some challenges in this stage of parenting. Uh, for example, a couple weeks ago, she was enjoying a bowl of Cheerios cereal. And she was really enjoying She's like, Daddy, I, I love these Cheerios. I've got a lot, a lot more left in, in my bowl. And I said, yeah, you do, honey. And she says, well, how many, how many Cheerios do I have left? And I, you know, just took a quick glance and I was like, oh, it looks like you've got about 15 left. And a couple of minutes pass, and she's quiet. And little did I know, Ellie is counting each of the Cheerios that are in her bowl. And she starts blurting out, daddy, you're a liar. Daddy's a liar. Mommy, mommy, daddy's a liar. She just starts yelling this. And I'm like, Ellie, Ellie, settle down. What is going on? And she's like, daddy, I don't have, I don't have 15 Cheerios I've got 18 Cheerios. You're a liar. And I was like, man, okay, we're, we're in this stage of parenting now where I've got to be careful with everything that I say. Like, now I understand why dads often will just say, hey, go ask, go ask your, mo- your mommy that, the answer to that. So you don't want to be liable for any lies. But like, isn't it amazing that like God has never had that type of experience. God has never had that type of moment where what he has said was not true or what he has promised was not true or will not uh, become true. And furthermore, like, it is impossible for God to make a promise that was too good to be true. And sometimes we read some of these promises in here, we're like, ooh, that is a little bit outrageous. Like, is that really true? Like, we've got people in our own lives who are pretty flippant with their promises. We all know those people who um, who overpromise and underdeliver. We have those people in our lives who, whenever they promise something, we're like, yeah, 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 you know, we just kind of dismiss them or we kind of write them off because their promises are always too good to be true. Like, I just, I wonder if, if some of that, like, trickles into our relationship with God from time to time. Like, I wonder if, if we approach some of the promises of God with, like, that same mentality where we're like, man, that, That seems too good to be true. And sometimes we might even dismiss some of God's promises or we don't fully cling to them the way that we should. And we come across a promise like Romans 8, 28, that God works out all things for the good of those who love him. And maybe there are places in our hearts where we say, really God, like you're gonna use all things for my good, like even my suffering? Even this this difficult and and frustrating season, even this thing that I had no answers to, you're gonna use that for my good? Or, Or other promises where God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, the promise of his presence in our lives, and we wonder, really, God? Like, where were you when I lost my job? Or where were you when my parents got divorced? Or where were you during this particular difficulty in my life? Like, I just wonder if, we think some of God's promises are just so crazy, so, so good, so outrageous that we, we kind of have a, an arm's length from them and we don't fully embrace them. Look, we need to understand that part of the purpose of the promises of God is not just to comfort us, but part of the purpose of the promises of God is to take these promises and to rub the faithfulness of God deep inside of our hearts, especially in the midst of difficulty. In fact, I I can tell if you have a high view of God's faithfulness by how much you talk about the promises of God. I can tell that you uh, understand what it means that God is faithful if you have the promises of God tucked away and hidden in your hearts. I just want to challenge you this morning to have three, four, five, six promises of God just, just hidden in your heart that you are clinging to, that you are relying upon to show the faithfulness of God is true in your life. Look, what God says is true, what God says he will do because his promises rest on his unchanging faithfulness. And that means that we lean into these wonderful promises that God has given us. The third truth I want us to see this morning about the faithfulness of God is that it is abounding. God's faithfulness is abounding. I love this aspect of God's faithfulness. Look at Psalm 86, uh, verse 15. It says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Even Psalm 36.5 says that the faithfulness of God reaches to the skies. It's a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of God. It means that his faithfulness has no end. It means that there, there is uh, never a time in our lives where we use up God's faithfulness. That if God's faithfulness was like water in a well, there is no bottom. There is no, no reach to his faithfulness. He has an infinite supply. We cannot exhaust his faithfulness. Like what this means practically for us is that if you are his, this means that he's never going to give up on you. That he's never going to look at the way that you're living and say, okay, I'm done. I'm I'm gonna throw my, my hands up in the air and walk away from you. No, God never does that to his children. In fact, if you're kind of drifting away from him because he is faithful, he will chase you down out of love and pour out grace upon grace every single time. One of my biggest prayer requests coming into this passage, into this topic, is that we would be utterly convinced that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon you and your performance, but God's faithfulness is fully dependent upon his unchanging character. Think about that for a moment. There is nothing that you can do to make God unfaithful you'll never go through a season of your life in which he goes back on one of his promises there's no sin you can commit there's nothing that you can do where god says i'm done with you in this relationship but his faithfulness is abounding 2nd timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says that even when we are faithless he god remains faithful because he cannot deny himself in other words it's part of his nature to be faithful and to be steadfast and his love will never change towards you. I love Charles Spurgeon. He puts this uh, very well. He says that the glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful, that his faithfulness is abounding and unending. I remember learning about the faithfulness of God through my parents' divorce about 10 years ago. I was in college and, you know, news about my dad having an affair just absolutely rocked my world. Uh, my grades started to suffer playing basketball. I started to play very poorly. Even my relationships were impacted. And I was really wrestling with how, how is God faithful in this circumstance? And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. It led me to, to seek counseling at the university at Cedarville, just trying to process, like, what does it mean to trust God when you don't have any answers? How do you believe that God is faithful when he doesn't feel faithful, when it seems like he's distant, when he seems like he's breaking so many promises? And I just remember just trying to trust him, trying to to see how good might come from this situation. And it wasn't until a couple years ago, I remember having a conversation with my mom about the divorce and about what God might have been doing in and through that. And she said something that I'll never forget. She said, you know, Chris, even though that, that time was so painful. She's like, I didn't do everything right, and it was so painful hearing about his unfaithfulness. But man, it, it was all worth it because of all that God taught me about his faithfulness. I remember hearing that from my mom, and, and I, I was with her when, when we heard about my dad's affair, and watching this woman just crumble to the ground. And yet here she is, standing in front of me, just, just praising God for his faithful hand through the worst of seasons for her. I remember thinking to myself, see, that, that's what God was doing, partly. That's what, what he was doing in and through that. Like, that is God's faithfulness on display, God's unending, abounding faithfulness, that even when you don't feel it, even when it seems like he's distant and he's far from you, He is doing things in your life. That maybe years, decades, or maybe on the other side, maybe when we're in heaven, when we look back we're like, ah, that's what God was doing. But to believe that God is faithful, even when he doesn't feel it, speaks to our view of who he actually is. Well, Lastly, the last truth about God's faithfulness that I want us to understand this morning is that God's faithfulness actually makes him the hero in the redemption story. That God is not just the, the central main character, but, but all the attention should be on Him as the hero. And, and there's no greater display of God's faithfulness than in the gospel. That in the gospel, God is the hero in the story of mankind. And, and really, we see this theme of God's faithfulness all throughout the Bible, like even in the very beginning and, and the story with Adam and Eve in the garden. After God set these very clear boundaries about not to take a, a piece of fruit from one particular tree, Adam and Eve disobey God, they are unfaithful to God, and, and the reality is, is that out of God's justice, he could have just removed them from the face of the earth right there in that moment, and yet out of God's grace and, and partly because of his faithfulness, he doesn't blot them out from the face of the earth, but he actually makes a promise to them. One of the most significant promises in the whole in all of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The promise in, in short is that there will come someone from the line of Adam and Eve who will crush the head of the serpent. God's of course talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus who would later come, thousands of years later, and defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat the consequences that we all see and experience but it started in that moment of God declaring his faithfulness to mankind. We see more of God's faithfulness a couple hundred years later where there's more evil, more sin, more unfaithfulness over the face of the earth in the days of Noah. So much to the point where God wanted to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth. And yet he remembers this promise that he made in Genesis three fifteen and preserves Noah and his family. God is faithful. Look, more examples of this you see in the the call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, Abram was a man who was actually worshiping other gods at the time. And yet God initiates this promise to him, says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you land. I'm gonna give you descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Remember Abram and Sarah's response? They didn't fully believe him. They were old, they were infertile. And yet God remained faithful. Some years later, we see God's faithfulness again in the life of Moses. That God's people were held in bondage. They were slaves to to Pharaoh in Egypt. And yet God, through the leadership of Moses, through the ten plagues, through uh, the, the, the incident at the Red Sea, actually frees and redeems his people. He's faithful to his covenant. And yet throughout the wilderness, we see God's people being unfaithful to him, complaining, saying, we want to go back to Egypt. We had it better there. And yet God remains faithful, gives them uh, bread, gives them water, actually leads them into uh, the promised land. And then in the promised land, we see God's people again being unfaithful. They run after other gods. So God allows them to be taken captive um, uh, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and yet God remains faithful. He raises up these prophets, these godly men who proclaim the faithfulness of God, who try to woo them back in repentance back to their covenant with the one true living God. We see that most clearly in the prophet Hosea, that God called Hosea because he wanted Israel to know that he is the faithful husband That being in this covenant is basically like keeping a covenant with a harlot. The nation of Israel just kept going back to these other gods. And yet God was the faithful and the true husband. Time and time again, what we see all throughout Scripture, the great narrative of the Bible, is that God is faithful and we are the unfaithful ones. We we are not the main character. We are not the ones who keeps covenant with him, but God is is the one true faithful God. Look, we see this so clearly in the gospel. We see God uh, staying true to his covenant and his promise. And look, what greater way to display his faithfulness than by sending his own son to die on the cross in the place of his enemies. But This is the faithfulness of God. Like in his great mercy, God initiated our salvation that God is the one who elected us, who chose us. It was God who set his love upon us. It was God who took our place on the cross. It was God who, who chose us to make us alive together in Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. It's God who declares us free and forgiven and redeemed and loved in Jesus. Look, it is God who is faithful, not us. We are the ones who are the spiritual Adulterers, and that God's faithfulness remains true. Look, the gospel is our Deuteronomy 32, isn't it? In the same way that Deuteronomy 32 was this great reminder of God's faithfulness, all we have to do is look at the gospel to look at Calvary, and we say that is the display of God's great faithfulness to us. And we say, as Paul said, that if God did not withhold his own son from us, Won't he give us all things? Won't he stay true to these beautiful promises that we see all throughout scripture? Like he's faithful not only to save us in the gospel, but he's also promised to be faithful, not to leave us to ourselves, to kind of figure out the Christian life on our own. But he promises to to help us to finish well. We saw this in the, the first John sermon series. But he also promises that there will come a day in which there will be no more sin. There'll be no more crying, no more death, no more disappointment. There'll be no ache in our hearts over the things in this world. Look at this promise that God has made in Revelation chapter 21, based and rooted on the faithfulness of God. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy. That word is translated as faithful. That these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Look, we... We bank our entire lives upon the faithfulness of God. And we believe that he will surely do it because what he promises, he will do. And so we see the, the faithfulness of God all throughout scripture. We see it as the, the major theme in the story of mankind. But This morning as we close, I just wanna ask you, how, how can you apply the faithfulness of God in your life today? Like in what area of your life do you need to have kind of this Deuteronomy 32 moment to remember and to recall the faithfulness of God? Maybe there are certain promises that you need to apply to a particular arena of your life. Maybe it's your marriage today. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's something going on at work or your finances or a a temptation that that you're faced with. Maybe it's it's something that's causing fear and anxiety in your life, but in what areas do you need to apply the faithfulness of God to, to declare that he is the faithful one, that he doesn't just do faithful things, but he is faithful, and that's never going to change, and that what he promises will happen. Look, this morning, we wanna close this morning by just leaning into the faithfulness of God. God. We want this to be Deuteronomy 32 for us where we recall how great and how faithful our God actually is. And so we're gonna sing a couple songs together. We're gonna uh, hopefully even pray over each other that if, if you feel led today just to, to hit the floor down here towards the front and just cry out to the faithfulness of God, look, we wanna encourage and invite that. that if you wanna bring a spouse or a friend or someone in your small group to, to pray over you, or to pray with you, you just wanna come by yourself, we got elders and staff who will love to pray over you this morning and just to pray prayers of God's faithfulness and his promises to be applied to your life. But this morning, church, let's remember that we have a faithful God who keeps his promises and keeps his covenant with his people. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God. You are the one true and living God and there is no other God, we thank you that it's, it's hard for us to comprehend the fact that you don't change, that it's impossible for you to change. God, we thank you that it grows an awe and a worship in our hearts when we think about your faithfulness. God, we think about the fact that we are so unfaithful time and time again, and yet you are the one true faithful God. Lord, I pray that that would minister to us in our marriages today, in our, in our, in our singleness, in our suffering. God, in whatever we're going through, God, help us to recall and to remember that you are faithful and that you are with us and that you are for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.